my favorite roles to play in life is that of Aunt Heather. Or maybe to be proper here in Minnesota, Aunt Heather. <laughs> it's actually a title that I received when I was 12 years old because I was young and I was exceptional because I had a brother 14 years older than I. <laughs> and I love it. As Aunt Heather, I get to be a trusted confidant. I get to spend time with them, which is also known as free childcare for my siblings. I get to give them fun presents. I get to sugar them up and then send them back home to mom and dad. I have 15 nieces and nephews on my side of the family and two more on Chad's side. So that's 17 total. That's a lot of sugar. And you may or may not know that one of those 17 graces the stage here at Wooddale every weekend. My nephew Grayson, who's now 25, is a member of the creative arts team here on the Eden Prairie campus. So he was worshiping on the drums this morning. If he's not there, he might be on keys, he might be playing guitar, he might be on lead vocals because he's exceptional. And I'd like to take a little credit for that because... My sophomore year at Bethel, I was Grayson's nanny. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we spent a lot of time together. So I feel as if I molded and shaped him into the man he is today. <laughs> there was one particular time we spent together where I really sugared him up and sent him home. And about an hour later, my sister called me and she just held the phone out toward the kitchen area where Grayson was running around banging pats and pots and pans together, and she just said, thanks a lot. <laughs> to which I said, that's my job. <laughs> to this day, I love hanging out with my nieces and nephews, and when I'm with them, I love to play a little game with them I call breaking free. So we sit on the floor, and I cradle them in my arms, and then I lock my hands like this together around them. And their job is to wiggle or squirm or squeeze their way out of my embrace. Now, you need to understand, I'm unusually strong, so this is no easy task. And they always start out so determined, you know, they're, they're just ready to do it. And then all of a sudden, their face gets red, and they start to sweat. And oftentimes, they just end up giving up because it's just too hard. Well, our highlighted passage this weekend has Jesus referencing a bondage that is infinitely stronger than my arms, and that is the bondage of sin. And we're going to look today at John 8. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn in it or turn on to John 8. There's also a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. I'm a big fan of having the Word of God in your hands but if you need to cheat, we will put it on the screen. So let's look at these words together from John 8, 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. 
It's really important when we come to a set of verses in scripture to be sure we understand the context, what's happening around those verses. We evangelical Christians are notorious for taking one verse out of its context and putting it on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or stitching it on a pillowcase. But it's so important to know what's going on, so let's be sure we know this morning. The overall book of John, which was written by one of Jesus' best friends, John, is a testament to the identity of Jesus. The fact that he was fully God and that he has existed for eternity. And that was a different concept for those who were watching and listening to Jesus because they only knew of his human living for those 33 years. The Gospel of John is also where we find the seven I am statements of Jesus. There again, investing in his identity. So all throughout John, you will hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know these statements may not seem extreme to us today, but during that time, items like bread and light were a big deal, both physically and spiritually. And actually, the words I am were a big deal as well. Let me remind you of a conversation that Moses had with God in Exodus chapter 3. God had just told Moses that he was to go and tell his people that their freedom was near but Moses wondered how the people would believe that God actually sent him. So in verses 13 and 14, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me. So Jesus and John were giving a call back to the I am of Exodus, helping people to understand who Jesus was. That standing in front of them was the I am, God himself. You see, Jesus' audiences had a hard time understanding his identity. There was often much confusion. I mean, think about it. The disciples spent most of their time confused. <laughs> so when Jesus had an opportunity, like these ones especially noted in John, he took them to clarify who he was and who he is still today. For more context, earlier in chapter 8, the adulterous woman was brought to Jesus and the theological religious leaders of the day were trying to trap Jesus. So they demanded that he tell them what her punishment should be. All throughout the New Testament, especially in John, you'll see there's a spirit of confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders and often even the crowds that were listening to him. See if you can catch it again as we look at the verses. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? 
They replied, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The tension here in this passage primarily relates to the fact that they didn't like knowing that they were slaves to sin. As Jews, they knew that they were the chosen people of God. And at the beginning, they understood that the honor of that position came along with the responsibility to be a blessing to the nations around them. But somewhere along the way, there seemed to be a shift. Many, not all Jews, started to see their status as a right, and they took pride in it. We can almost hear their arrogance as they respond to Jesus. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Ironically, at the time, the Romans pretty much controlled all of their lives. But think about our culture. We have a hard time as well believing that we are enslaved. Freedom is a big deal in our world. It's multi-layered and multifaceted for sure, but we don't like it when anyone or any system tries to put restrictions on us. Instead, we aspire to self-realization, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency. Rest assured, there's nothing in this passage that takes attack on our personal liberties. This is all about freedom from sin's chains. Whether we want to believe it or not, what Jesus said is true of those he was speaking to then is true for us now. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I would hope that we would all be smart enough to acknowledge that we have sinned. If not, in 1 John 1.8 it says, if you say that you have not sinned, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Here's the best way that I've heard it explained. In our lives, we have sin with a capital S and we have sin with a lowercase s. Sin with a lowercase s is the choice that we make on a daily, hourly, or sometimes even a minute-by-minute basis. That's when we choose to speed or gossip about the person in the cube next to us, use profanity, manipulate others for our own gain, look at sexual images for our pleasure, steal, cheat, hold grudges, overeat, or lie. And often we get so frustrated with ourselves and those choices, how they affect us, how they affect the people around us, that we determine we're going to do something about it. So we read self-help books and we join support groups and we ask for accountability. Now don't get me wrong, all of those are great actions and they're admirable and they help to a certain extent, but they don't address the core problem. The core problem is S, sorry, sin with a capital S. I'm a visual person. 
And I think most people are as well. So let me show you what I mean. I'm going to have my friend Ben come on up to the stage. You may or may not know Ben. Ben is our associate junior high pastor here at Wooddale. He loves coffee, he loves photography, and he loves being from Iowa. Don't, yeah? <laughs> For this illustration, though, he is not Ben. He is you. He is me. He is all of humankind. No pressure. Okay, I'm going to have Ben take a seat. Sin with a capital S, is represented today by these chains. And sin, with a capital S, is sin that is not ours by our choosing. It is something that was passed on to us, generation to generation, from the first ever created human beings. Oh. And it's called our sinful nature. And it is what causes us to be bent towards sin. It's what causes us to sin with the lowercase s. And so many of us put so much energy into our sin with a lowercase s, but we miss the primary problem. And that's our sin with a capital S. When we feel the weight of this sin, many of us in our natural human tendency try to wiggle our way out of the sin. We understand that something's not right. That didn't just happen. Something's not right. And we want to do something about it. So we might start by trying to be a really good person. We try to be kind and generous to everyone around us. We give to charity. We shovel the driveway of the neighbor next to us. We let our little brother ride shotgun. We pay for the caribou order behind us. And if that doesn't work, then we move to success. Maybe if we just get better grades or advance in the company or we finish that degree, then the weight that we feel will lift. How's that working for you, Ben? Not great. How's that working for you? Martin Luther says this about sin. The sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. We believe the lie that Jesus isn't enough and that we need to muscle our way out of this. But what ends up happening is that more than likely we feel the weight of the sin even more. And when we're alone at the end of the day and the noise of the day has quieted, we know something is still missing. We feel defeated. We feel discouraged no matter how much we've donated, no, many, no matter how many accolades are to our names. And just like my nieces and nephews who tried to struggle to get out of my embrace, many of us just give up. We quit because it's just too hard. And we resort to the fact that this is all life is. Life is meaningless. Life is hopeless. I need to be honest with you that if left in this state, 
Indeed, life is hopeless. Life is meaningless. And we will spend our eternity separated from God. But it doesn't have to end here. Jesus said that he is the son. He said that he is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Just like freedom can be multi-layered in our society, so can the word truth. But in this passage, truth doesn't refer to a philosophical ideal or the opposite of falsehood. It's actually the knowledge of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So knowing the truth is knowing God, God made known in Jesus, who said himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So how do we get out of our chains? If we can't wiggle our way out, if we can't donate our way out, freedom only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not by anything that we do, but because of what he did taking on our burden of sin. He went to the cross. He defeated the grave. And he said, you can be free of your sin. Ben, you are free. <laughs> so the question ends up being, how can we be like Ben? How can we live a life free from chains? Well, the first step is we need to admit that we are enslaved to sin with a capital S and that we need Jesus. One scholar said it this way, to take seriously Jesus' claims about setting us free is to take seriously the proposition that we are all enslaved to powers beyond our ability to master. I know that it takes humility to acknowledge this. But what's our other option? To continue to fight and get nowhere. Tell him. Tell him in the quiet of your heart that you have tried to break free from your chains and you can't do it on your own. That you need him. Tell him that you believe that he died so you could be free. Tell him that you want to give him your life and you want him to come into your life so you can live the freedom that only he can give. The second step is actually given to us by Jesus himself in chapter 8. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's incredible in our life of freedom that we get to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We get to be changed by him. We get to be on mission with him. We get to know him through the truth of his word and the guidance of his Holy Spirit and through Christian community. You've got to find people to live in this freedom with. We were never intended to live this life alone. And besides eternal separation from God, one of the saddest elements of being chained down in our sin is that we truly feel alone. Christian community is a gift 
Do you have it? Hundreds of people have found Christian community and living in freedom in a program called Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but we have it here on the Eden Prairie campus. People meet on Tuesday nights to say, I acknowledge that I was chained in sin, but because of Jesus, I am no longer. But man, life can still be hard. And they talk with each other and pray with each other and learn with each other. It's incredible. Their, their idea is that if you have a hurt, habit, or hang-up, you belong to their group. I have all three. I don't know about you. Out in our common area today, there's a table with more information about Celebrate Recovery. You should check it out if you think you need to find some others walking in freedom or if you know somebody who it might be a gift for. The third step in living a life free of chains is to actually believe and live like your chains are gone. I have been walking in freedom with Jesus for 40 years now. I've been in ministry for 26 years, so I've seen a lot. But it continues to amaze me that our human tendency is to walk back and pick up the chains of our sin. And wouldn't it be great if after we were freed from our chains of sin with a capital S that we would sin no more? <laughs> I would be up for that. But the reality is we live in a sinful, broken world and the temptation comes at us every day. If you were here for Pastor Dale's sermon series on spiritual warfare, you might remember that the primary life goal of Satan and his demons is to bring us down to tempt us to the point where we are so discouraged and so defeated. Do you remember Pastor Dale had his boxing gloves and he was jabbing with temptation at us, saying things like, nobody will know, it's just this once. It's not as bad as everybody else in what they're doing. And what we find is that we're so strong initially, but then we get worn down. And not just from the jabs of Satan, but because of the fact that Satan makes sin with a capital S look so good. And wouldn't it be great if sin looked like this, like a big refrigerator box that was smeared with sour milk and doggy doo-doo. And it had steam and pus oozing out the side and the steam smelled like rotten eggs and vinegar. Imagine if that was sin. I would love that. Because if that were sin, we would stay as far away from it as we could. We wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. And yet Satan, he is smart and he is crafty. And he makes it look good. He makes it look attractive. He makes it alluring. So initially, it doesn't seem so bad. And actually, if we're honest, it seems good. But then when we engage in that alluring sin then Satan stands over us now as the accuser saying things like, you're a loser. You have no discipline. You're weak. You call yourself a Christian. And I find that it's during those times of accusation that we pick up the chains of sin again. But this time, the chains represent shame. Shame for what we 
have done in the past, or sometimes even shame for what's been done to us or against us. Some people interchange the words shame and guilt, but they're actually very different. Guilt is feeling bad about what you did. And God allows us to feel guilt because then that moves us toward repentance of our sin and forgiveness. But shame is different. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Remember, you're a loser. You have no discipline. You're weak. You call yourself a Christian. And it was never God's intention. Shame. And yet we carry the chains. So heavy in our hands is the shame of poor money choices, sexual activity, failing out of school, divorce, abuse, alcohol, DUIs, unwanted pregnancy, drugs. We hold them, but we're not intended to hold them. Why are you still holding these chains? Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Stop believing the lies that Satan is telling you about you. And instead believe the truth that God is saying about you. I am loved. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I have been restored. I am free. And live in that freedom, yes? Father, I am so thankful for the gift of you breaking our chains. And God, as we move into this new year, wouldn't it be amazing if we moved in with no chains? Nothing holding us down, nothing weighing us down. God, that I believe is our desire. That is our hope, and it, it can only come through you, Jesus. And so we pray that you would show us how to do that, and that you would walk us into 2019 chain-free. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>